about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Isaiah 42. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. Good morning. The second reading is Mark chapter 1, which is on page 812 of the regular Bibles. Okay, Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, 
not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone's looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, friends. It's so good to be in church together. Let's pray. Father, we do pray, bless us as we read your word together with a measure of understanding of the goodness of Jesus Christ, that we might walk into a new year with a sense of his glory and a sense of his honour. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, friends, we are on the cusp of a new decade, depending upon who you ask, I think. Some people are disputing about whether this is the new decade or the next year is. But whatever your opinion on that is, we are leaving the teenage adolescence of this century behind, back into the 20-somethings, or something like that. And I've been reflecting back on the last 10 years and what that's meant for me and what God's been doing in that. Uh, it's a good time to sum up a, a period of life, don't you think? Uh, a lot of people have been doing that not just for themselves, but for the whole world in the last few months, thinking about, well, where is our world up to? And well, in the last 10 years, did it get better or not? Someone in the It's Getting Better camp is Steven Pinker, psychologist at Harvard who's written a really interesting book called Enlightenment Now. There's a lot of statistics about how the world is getting better, that there's less violence in the world and less people in endemic poverty, 
a lot more uh, equality, statistically moving amongst the world, proving that despite the bad news stories, the world is getting better. And he concludes his book by summoning us to use science and reason and humanism as a way of completing the project and ending poverty and ending violence and all these sorts of things. But despite the fact that Stephen has started talking about this, a lot of people feel the dissonance. Uh, Mark Sayers talks about how really a lot of us have this vision of, uh, this bone vision of this hope for a utopia that we're progressing towards. Uh, that under the right conditions and influences, humans are perfectible, and that we will reach this sort of utopia. Stephen Pinker's vision is kind of our, all of our hopes and vision. But what Mark Sayers says is actually, despite the statistics, we don't seem to be able to get rid of bigotry or just garden variety selfishness. And we can't avoid the fact that the last hundred years might be known as the hundred years of genocide. That despite our statistics, we appear unable to bring about good things in our world. So as we contemplate our new decade before us, it is so much better to have Mark 1 open. And to realize that the good news for a new decade comes not from our progress, not from our ability to rationalize and bring about a utopia on our own, but only in the good news of who Jesus is and what he has come to do. So friends, let's just simply open up Mark today and let's bathe ourselves in the good news as a way of starting a new decade. I want to tell you four things about the good news today to carry with you moving forward. The first one is this, that Jesus Christ alone is good news. Jesus Christ alone is good news. Chapter 1, verse 1 starts with the beginning of the good news. That's the word gospel translated right. Good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. We're introduced to Jesus at the beginning of this biography, very clearly and very simply, in all of his glory and all of his fullness. Why is Jesus Christ good news? Well, he is the Messiah and he is the beloved Son of God. He is the unique son through whom God will fulfill all of his purposes and finally put the world to a right. In his person and through his mission alone, God will fulfill all of his purposes. Jesus Christ alone is good news. Mark goes straight to Isaiah and talks about this this day when a messenger would come in the desert to prepare the way of the Lord and then jumps in verse 4 to John the Baptist who's in the desert proclaiming that there's one coming after him who has surpassed him who is unworthy to untie the sandals off. People come to John in the desert and they're baptized, they confess their sins and they receive forgiveness in preparation of a day when God's Messiah will come and everything will change. And then Jesus appears in the desert and is baptized by John and we're invited into this most remarkable moment in the Gospels as Jesus is baptized and above him the heavens are torn open in verse 10 and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove And a voice comes from heaven and says, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This is the the moment in Mark's story where he gives away the ending. 
You know how that happens in every movie? That they give away the ending really early? It happens in the last Star Wars movie, really early in a cave scene. They give away the ending just to ruin it for if you haven't seen it. Um, every movie does this. It preps you for the ending by giving, you, giving away the secret as to why the hero will succeed. And the reason we're given is this beautiful baptism moment. It's not public in Mark. We're invited into this private moment that Jesus has as he's dunked under the water and he comes up and he looks up and the Holy Spirit comes on him and his Father speaks over him. And it's a lot of things all in one moment. It's the fulfillment of Isaiah 42, where a servant will have the Spirit upon him and will become the ruling king of all the earth, and will establish his justice and peace over all peoples, and all the islands will put their hope in him. It's the fulfillment of Psalm 2, when God's Son is announced and proclaimed to the nations. And it is the revelation of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, where the Father announces he has a beloved Son. In this one moment, we see why Jesus is such good news. Why John was right to say he's not worthy to untie his sandals. Jesus is the Holy One. And in his power and in his glory, he can do everything that progress can't. As the unique and glorious Son and Messiah. Jesus alone is good news. But the second thing is, well, what is, what is Jesus' good news? Well, it is his kingdom. Jesus' good news is his kingdom. Verse 14 has a strange word on Jesus' lips. It has him proclaiming. Now, in most of the Gospels, Jesus is teaching. That's the verb used most often. But at the beginning of the Gospels, we have him pr- proclaiming, announcing heralding. He only does that for a bit, then he hands that on to his disciples to herald him, and on to us to herald him. But what does Jesus proclaim? Well, in verse 14, he proclaims the good news of God, which is the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus' good news is about timing. It's about the fact that a long-awaited moment has arrived. And the long-awaited moment is that the kingdom of God has drawn near. It is imminent. It's on the precipice of happening. And when the Jews thought of the kingdom of God, they thought of that time, that utopia that our minds and hearts have programmed in, having lived in a Christian country, of a moment when everything will be finally put right under God's rule. God will establish his kingship over the earth and end all dissonance, all wrong, all evil, all pain. Jesus announces that in his ministry and in his life, the kingdom of God comes near. This is very important because the, the kingdom of God is not a spiritual reality. The kingdom of God is a physical, natural one. It is this earth remade, reclaimed, reordered, and conquered by God's Son. Jesus, right after proclaiming that this is happening, summons us to respond. There's only one right response 
to the imminence of the kingdom. And Jesus says it is repentance and faith. Repent and believe the good news. Now, those words sound strange and different to us, but they're so ordinary this time of year. Everyone's into repentance and faith around New Year's, aren't they? I repent of my last year's diet. I repent of my lack of exercise. I repent of my aimlessness. Whatever it is for whoever it is in the room, all of us end up saying, well, last year was a bit of a failure. I'm going to turn away from that. I'm going to put my faith in my new regime for a new year, in my new ideas about life, in my new career, in my new house, in my new way of being. We turn away from an old way and into a new way. That's just repentance and faith. I hate to break it to you. And Jesus says, if the kingdom is imminent, then it calls for a repentance and a faith unlike any other. As John prepared the people by baptizing them, getting them to confess their sins, and cleansing them through washing, Jesus says, if you want the kingdom, you have to leave your life behind and believe and follow me. It requires a radical break. You see this as he calls disciples to himself. He wanders along the Sea of Galilee. He sees Simon and and Andrew and he says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of people. He goes to James, son of Zebedee, and, and Zebedee, and James leaves his nets where they are and his father in the boat with the hired men and follows Jesus. This is what the kingdom calls for. Repenting and believing in the good news is about placing the kingdom of the Christ Above your fishing, above your family, above anything else in all the world. It requires leaving behind your old life and starting again. It involves taking on his priorities, his kingdom, his call as your own. It's about following and learning. There's no mistake that Mark puts this right at the beginning of his gospel. It's almost like it's a call for all of us to follow Jesus closely through the whole thing. To apprentice from him, to learn from him, to follow him. To take on his kingdom way as his own. Repentance and faith looks like reading the gospel of Mark as a means of leaving behind an old life and taking on Jesus' life as your own. Becoming proclaimers, heralds of the same good news by living out the same kingdom. Can I urge you perhaps this New Year's to do real repentance and faith? Not just phone in New Age one. To consider maybe what is it in your life that takes priority over following Jesus? over the life of his kingdom, over the radical imminence of God's purposes being fulfilled? What is the Lord Jesus summoning you away from to follow? Because his good news is the kingdom. But you might be thinking, well, how is the kingdom good news? How is that possible that I should leave behind things to follow? 
to take hold of it, to apprentice, to prioritize, to proclaim, to herald? Well, the third thing we see here is that Jesus previews the good news in his miracles. Jesus previews the good news in all of its fullness in his miracles. You know, it really struck me when I read Mark 1 this week about Jesus' miracles ministry uh, because Jesus doesn't set himself up as a healer. Jesus doesn't walk out saying, okay, get a booth and kind of put above it and say, okay, healings are open, let's go, let's go for this, seeking out the, the, the sick on the streets and healing them. Do you notice how all the healings happen in this chapter? Just incidentally along the way. Jesus is preaching in a synagogue. And people are amazed at the authority of his teaching. They say in verse 32 that it's not as the teachers of the law preach. And then someone with an impure spirit just stands up in church. Just gets up in the middle of church and starts yelling, probably. At Jesus, proclaiming his identity. And Jesus just gets rid of the spirit. And everyone there is amazed at this teaching on the one hand and this radical authority on the other that Jesus has that seem to go hand in hand. He proclaims a whole new way of life and he proclaims and calls demons to account. Then he gets spirited off to a house, probably for a meal. And Simon's mother-in-law is sick in bed there with a fever that will probably cause her death. And they basically say, well, since Jesus is here, maybe he should do something. And Jesus walks up to her, takes her by the hand, and helps her up. And the fever leaves in the same way that the demon did. You see, Jesus doesn't set himself up as a healer, yet wherever he goes, such is his authority, such is his status as God's son, that wherever he goes, things get reordered around him whether that be the depth of spiritual evil or the commonness of illness. There's this beautiful moment that happens with Simon's mother-in-law where it says that she began to wait on them, which is just a way of saying that she got up and was a mum again. She kept her role in the house. She kept her role in her family. She kept her role in her society. Jesus restores her to the life she had. Jesus reorders her around them. And then by sunset, all the sick are coming, all the demon-possessed are coming, the whole town is gathered at the door, and Jesus demonstrates his abilities to heal any sickness and drive out any demon. His authority is leveled up. It's complete. It's total. And what we're supposed to see in all this is what the kingdom of God is really like. That this is what the kingdom will look like. Jesus in his authority restoring all things. Restoring all mothers. Casting out all demons. Ending all illness under his reign and rule. There's this dumpling restaurant on King Street that's not doing very well. Called the Drunk Dumpling. And um, its problem is that it's set up um, above King Street, not on the street. And so no one knows about it. And it's not particularly good either. So there's issues. But you know, you know when a restaurant's going to close on King Street. It's pretty obvious. Uh, 
But what's really interesting is they have one strategy, one strategy to avoid decline. And every, every single time last year walking to CIG from my house, I walk along King Street and there is uh, a lovely young woman with fried eggplant in her hand, handing them out to people as they walk past. Now, I don't know how many of those fried eggplants I've had. But I, I, I love the, the, the optimistic strategy that if people cannot see the good thing they're missing out on, the good thing that they could be enjoying, you've got to help them taste it. You've got to help them see it. You've got to help them experience it. It's almost like Jesus' teaching and his miracles go hand in hand, demonstrating his authority, demonstrating that he is in fact good news. In his presence is always good news. That he is worthy of trust, worthy of priority, worthy of honor, worthy of glory. This is why acts have such an important part in the Christian life. In our good deeds, in what we do, in how we work, in how we neighbor, in how we live, in how we love, we're handing out fried eggplant, side of the street, taste and see that the Lord is good, taste and see that there is a good thing that Christ can bring, come taste it in me, little patches of the kingdom of God in Sydney. See, Jesus previews the good news so we can taste it, so we know how to help others taste it. But fourthly and finally today, Jesus is very clear, very, very clear, that his priority is not healing, but proclaiming. Proclaiming the good news. He says, Jesus' healing ministry gets going, and everyone crowds around him. Jesus goes off to be on his own and pray. And Simon and the others, they come and find him, and the the word for look for him is a bit more full-on and intense than other words. It's almost like they know what Jesus should do next, and they're going to come tell him, help him out a little bit, like good friends do. And they exclaim, everyone's looking for you, buddy. And Jesus says, you know, let's go somewhere else. Let's Let's go to a nearby village so I can preach there also, for that is why I have come. And so he traveled through Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. You see, for Jesus, vital in his ministry, vital for the way we do church, is that the good news of Jesus has to be proclaimed. It has to be heard. The imminence of his kingdom. The fact that he is who he says he is and he is good news needs to be proclaimed and heard so that people can repent and believe. Do you know what's never happened once when I've eaten fried eggplant? Not once. I've never been invited upstairs. (laughs) I've never, ever once been invited upstairs for a meal by the waitress, which seems rather counterintuitive to me. That surely, having enjoyed a tasty morsel, you would invite me to the feast. 
that what is the point of experiencing this, good as it is, if the good news is not heard with it? For Jesus, the miracles serve the priority of proclaiming the kingdom of God. And that's not to belittle them. It's not to belittle what Jesus does in healing people, in setting them free from demonic forces. Remarkable, incredible as it is. In fact, the way it fits together is perhaps the last story we have here today. The, the healing of the leper. This is my favorite story in Mark, and we're doing it week one, which is disappointing. But in the leper, you see everything that Jesus is about. You know, lepers in the ancient world, they were unclean, which meant they couldn't go in the temple, which meant they couldn't live with their family anymore, which meant they lived on the outskirts of society, left to die and fall apart alone. And so when, Jesus, when the leper comes to Jesus on his knees, he is utterly desperate. And he's so used to being perhaps rejected by people by now that he says, if you are willing, because you might reject me like everyone else, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And so that Jesus was indignant or filled with compassion or just filled with pathos. He sees a person in front of him and he heals for the love of it, for his sheer anger that it exists at all and reaches out and unnecessarily touches him. He who had not been touched for how long? Years? By any human? Jesus touches out of anger and compassion to set them free. Here is Jesus, the son, the healer, the proclaimer, stepping down into the mess of the world, reordering it socially, religiously, physically, out of compassion and love in his authority and glory. This is the Jesus you meet in Mark. And you see what happens next. The the leper gets up and Jesus says, you should just go to the temple and not tell anyone. And he just goes and tells everyone. Because how could you not when you've experienced such good things? And then this funny thing happens at the end where Jesus is so well known at that point that he can't go into town anymore. And he ends up outside, where? In the lonely places. Where? With the lepers. You see, what does Jesus come in the world to do in compassion and anger? He comes in, he touches the leper and becomes unclean, becomes excluded, socially, religiously, is cast out. See, Jesus, the son, takes on the place of the leper to set the leper free. And Jesus Christ, in all of his glory, when you see him as the one who, as Isaiah 53 says, took up our suffering, was punished and stricken, was pierced for our transgressions, when you see him taking our place to restore our world, You know in your heart that no progress can win what he in his person and authority can do. And it's when, in days like today, when you repent 
and believe in that Jesus, and you really experience his goodness and glory, that your tongue will also freely testify to others and proclaim. The priority is proclamation. And friends, the only way we're going to get there today is by repenting and believing and experiencing again the wonder of the one who in compassion and glory came down to take our place, to reorder our world and set us free. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.